Good job, buddy. What an incredibly cool song. Thank you, brother. All right, let me get these pieces of paper. I, here's the deal part. I, I, just, I, I made a comment this morning that I'm glad to have a worship leader that God speaks to, and it, that worst, the, uh, introduction, the uh, invitation song this morning was just perfect. Last week it was perfect. And written on the top of my sermon sheet for tonight, and I know we didn't communicate because as of this morning, I didn't have a message and he didn't have an order of worship because we're playing on a concert. And so, um, written on top of my sermon sheet is Luke 11, 1 through 4. And here is what that is. Well, if I was in Luke, it would probably help. I'm sorry, it's not, is it Luke? Hang on, now see, what what a way to mess up a good introduction. Luke 11, there we go. I was in John. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place that he ceased that one of the, his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. And he said to them, so when you pray, you say this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Isn't that cool? That's just what he's saying. A little response, please. A little response. I mean, it's so cool. We know that's not coincidence. At least him and I know that. It's not coincidence. It's not accident. It's simply God through the Holy Spirit working. Now, I know we've talked about the Lord's Prayer. In fact, our second week into the Surrender Series, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. We need to surrender our prayer life, and we talked about that. So you might be saying, Dwayne, why bring it up again today? Why are you bringing it up tonight again? Really because of this morning's message. You know, as, as I have journeyed through this series with you, and believe me, I, have, I am journeying with you through this series, as God is speaking to my heart, and I hope He's speaking to your heart I just understand fresh and new, this surrender thing is just huge. And I really think in this year of 2015, I believe Christians across this land, believers across this land, are far from surrendered to the God they claim to love. I think the average believer today, and probably more, way more than the average believer today, really doesn't understand that we have, we have, we have to surrender our, all aspects of our life to this king. And here's the deal. That Lord's prayer, that model prayer, that disciples prayer is a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of saying, God, it's your deal, not mine. God is you doing and not me doing. Particularly the part where it says, you know, thy kingdom come. And we've talked about, for those who have not been in our services, thy kingdom come. It talks about the, the reign, the rule of God. The kingdom is the reign and rule of God. And in that smallest format, in that, in that most basic of formats, that's our hearts. And when we pray the model prayer, thy kingdom come, we are essentially saying, God, come and reign in my life. Come and reign in my heart. I give you free space in my life to be my king. When we pray, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven, we're saying in the sphere of my influence, in my world, God, I give you full space to let your will be done. I'm willing to lay my will down and let your will be worked out 
in my life. And you could go on throughout the, the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, and hear as that plays out in surrender. But it's basically saying, God, I want you to rule. I want you to reign in my life. And that's what we've talked about now for, I guess, five weeks. I think it's been like five weeks. We talked about it, and we've got about another three or maybe four to go um, in this series. But I wanted to talk tonight. It's a really... It's a different story um, in the Bible. It's found way back in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 1. You know, what does it look like? Because we need to know this. What does it look like? Now listen, don't, don't, don't your mind drift off. What does it look like when a person says, we want another king? What we have in 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse number 1, and following in those verses following, we have Israel saying, Mm, is that all you got, God? We think we want another king. And what does that look like? And what are the consequences of that? And I'm hoping we can bring that into 2015, into our lives tonight, and make sure we understand the consequences and how dire they are when we say, God, is that all you got? Um, I want another king. So that's where we're going tonight. Now, it starts, uh, Samuel was the last judge. He was the last judge and also the first prophet. Okay, and it starts in verse number one, and it kind of starts out like, you know, okay. The Bible says this. Now, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his son judges over Israel. Now, that almost sounds logical, doesn't it, Marcia? It just sounds logical. The, the current judge would pass on the legacy to his sons, but sometimes the logical is not the right thing. Sometimes the obvious is not the right thing, and we need to store that in our brains, because in the spiritual realm, as we do life with God, we got, don't, don't ever assume that the logical thing's the right thing. Even don't even assume that the obvious thing is the right thing. We need to wait upon the Lord and seek the wisdom of the Lord as we do life with God, as we journey with God through life. So he made his sons judges. Now, um, the names of his firstborn was Joel, and the second of his name was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. Now, we don't know why. I, I don't think, you know, we could, you could play the card, maybe that Samuel was too busy doing God stuff and neglected his family. We have no indication of that. I just know this. Some of you parents out there tonight, even in this small crowd, you may be trying to carry guilt for your children's actions. You know, when your kid gets old enough to make his own decisions, it is exactly that, their own decision. Don't assume their guilt for their actions, their poor actions. Understand that. We don't know why they didn't walk, but the bottom line is they didn't follow the, the God of Samuel. In fact, the Bible says they turned aside after dishonest gain, they took bribes, and they preferred justice. Now, why all that is important is it's going to set up what's about to happen with this king deal. Now, what I want you to grab is this. They didn't cause the action. They just set it up. They were, they were the revealing factor of the people's hearts. And here's what it looks like. The Bible says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Look, you are old. And Samuel goes, Well, thank you. You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Let me read that again. I want you to really get that. Look, you are old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, make us a king to judge us like all the nations nations. So they come to Samuel and they say, look, you know, you're, you're done. You're about done. Your sons are not doing what they should do. So here's our decision. We would like to have a king. We look around us in the world and all the other nations have kings. 
And we want to be like the other nations. Now, there's a couple of problems here. First off, nowhere does God call them to be like the other nations. God never said, Israel, I am calling you to be just like everyone else. In fact, he called them to be the exact opposite. He called them to be something different. In Leviticus, in chapter 20, verse 26, it says this, You are to be holy. You are to be set apart to me because I, Yahweh, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be mine. The problem was, is they didn't understand who and what they were. God had called them to be separate from the nations, not like the nations. And by the way, that's true for us. You know, it transfers to the New Testament when Peter says, you know, God says, be holy, be set apart, because I am holy. We are, the, the nation of Israel was never to be like the nations around them. In fact, the greatest fear was is that they would become like the nations around them. But we are to be different, just like God called the nation of Israel to be different. We are to be different. And I said to myself, well, what does that mean? Well, one thing that we talked about this morning in class was marriage. And I still find myself, as we listen to some of the teachings of the Bible on marriage, in fact, truthfully, every time still, that when we teach some of the principles of marriage, I can sometimes, even as I teach, I can feel the resistance to pushing back um, from, from, from people as we talk about marriage, biblical marriage. But here's the deal. You know, we're not to do marriage like the world does marriage. You can't, you can't look at your, your friend in the office or your friend 500 feet underground. You can't look at the guy down the street, the woman down the street, and draw principles from marriage from your culture. Because your culture does not do marriage like you do marriage. Because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have different guidelines, you have different standards. So we don't do marriage like the world does marriage. We don't do our business like the world does business. That's why you've got to be careful when you choose a business partner because if you choose a lost business partner, he will have different principles most likely than your principles. And you'll find a clash and a conflict. We don't do business like the world does business. Um, we don't do family like the world does family. We don't do finances like the world does. In fact, can I just say this? We probably don't do anything like the world does, or at least we shouldn't, because this book, these teachings, this God is so radically different. So when they said, we want to have a king like all the other nations, God says, you're not like the other nations. And I would say to you tonight, brothers and sisters, we're not like the world. At least we shouldn't be like the world. The second problem here is when they said, make us a king, the problem is they've already got one. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying, I would like a wife, unless you already have one. That's a problem. That's a problem. And the problem is, Israel had a king. Um, I, Psalm 10, 16, the Lord is king. Um, forever and ever, the nations will perish in, from his land. Psalm 24, 10, who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Israel had a king. And in saying we wanted a king, and you're going to hear these words directly from the mouth of God, they were rejecting God as king. And let me tell you something. When we reject God as our king, it has dire 
consequences. So two things wrong with this. Two things wrong. We won't be like the, the nations. No, no, no. You're nothing like the nations. I called you to be different. We want a king. No, no, no. You've already got a king. And you got the best king. You know, some of the songs we sang tonight, David, were just so powerfully impacted with the gospel that there's no Jesus like our Jesus. There's no savior. There's no rescuer. There's no king like our king. We're going to say these words in just a few moments. But my goodness, when you've got the best, why would you step down to second best? When you've got the best, why step down to second best? Well, they go on to say this. This thing displeased Samuel. And I think it just shows the wisdom of Samuel. He knew in his guts it was wrong. So this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Pause. How wise is that? He hit the pause button. He hit the pause. Remember this morning, the power of the pause? You know, before we blurt something out, if we just pause for a moment, give chance for the Holy Spirit or the Word of God to speak to our hearts, it may change what comes out of our mouth. So he hit the pause button. He prayed. He didn't shoot from the hip. You know, I, I'm learning as I get older, people call me and ask me a Bible question, and I'll, and I'll usually tell them, if I don't have a concrete biblical answer, I'll say, I'm going to speak off the top of my head. I give them a disclaimer. It says, hey, this is off the top of my head. I haven't researched this. Samuel was wise enough to pause and to go pray. He, in his gut, he knew, and he was right, but he knew he needed to consult the Lord. So he goes and he prays. Here's what the Lord said. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all they say to you. What? Heed the voice of the people? Give them what they want? And what we see, and I think I'll say this again in just a moment, but we see again, once again, an enactment of Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Once again. And that, that scripture says, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. And so, so that is what I think we see happening here. God says, okay, they want a king. They think there's something better than me. All right. We'll let them experience that and see the consequences that they may learn. That they may learn. So God says, okay, you know, heed the voice of the people and all they say to you. And here's that. This is so piercing. For they have not rejected you. They have not rejected you. But they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. God just simply confirmed what Samuel knew in his heart. That they were rejecting the one true king for a second class king. A king wannabe. Now let me pause and go back to this morning. You know, we talked about Bacchus this morning. And Bacchus was the god of intoxication, alcohol, and Ephesus. And how when, when Paul was saying, don't be drunk with wine but you know, because it leads to reckless actions, he was saying, because so many of these Ephesians were saved out of that culture. They were born again out of that culture. And, and Paul is, and, and one thing he is saying is, don't go back to the previous worship. Don't go back to the previous king. Don't go back to another lifestyle. And we got to remember something, that when we say yes, we may be saying no. When we say yes to something in our life, life, we may be saying no to God. That's that, that's that thing I was trying to tell you this morning. You know, when you, when you sit there and you say, um, you know, I, I want to get, you know, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with sports. Don't be drunk with, with, um, with prosperity. Don't be drunk with power. Don't be drunk with all those different things in the world. 
Because when you allow those to influence you, you, use the, you lose the influence of God. And God knew this and said, look, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as king. Be careful when something knocks on your heart's door and wants to be the king of your life. Be careful. Be careful when something knocks on your door and wants to be the number one in your life. It may look a lot like your wife. It may look a lot like your husband. It may look a lot like your kids. It may look a lot like your religion. It may look a lot like your church. It may look a lot about being a position in the church. So when, when something knocks on your door and wants to be the number one, take out the number one rule, because what's number one? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is number one. And He refuses to be number two. Amen? So be careful when that knock comes. And whenever something, you sense something wanting a higher position in your life than it deserves, be careful. Be careful. Well, God kind of gives an explanation now. And really, it's, it's like an indictment. In verse 8, According to all the works which they have done, since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. God is simply saying this. And isn't it sad? This is a long-running pattern with the nation of Israel. We'll serve God. No, we won't. We'll serve God. No, we won't. We'll do this, God. No, we won't. And God's simply saying, it's a long-running pattern. The, the weakness in the nation of Israel, they simply could make a concrete commitment. We will serve God and no one else. And guess what? It's still occurring in 2015. Believer after believer after believer after believer still wrestles with who's going to be number one in their life. And number one is God. Number one is Christ. Not the church. Not power. Not position. Not money. Not family. Not finances. God. God. He says to Samuel, Samuel, they're just playing out what they've done. This is a pattern with them. And by the way, just free... The, the only cure for that pattern is that 100% total commitment to the kingship of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the cure. Not, not 95%. Not 95%. It's got to be like 100%. He goes on and says this. Now therefore, here's that Romans 1.28 again. Now therefore, heed their voice. I'm turning them over. Heed their voice. However, however you should solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Now, literally in the Hebrew, it's warning, you should warn them. Warning, you should warn them. In other words, make it very clear. I want them to understand exactly what is about to happen. And there are two major things that are about to happen. One is, if they do this, they're stepping outside of the protection of the covenant. Then break the covenant, they're stepping out. Have you ever discovered something? That when we choose to walk outside obedience, that we walk often out of the protection of God. You want to know why there's so many wrecked marriages? Because we walked out of the protection of the Word of God. You know why so many Christians are so wrapped up, up their eyeballs in debt and in bondage to debt? Because they walked outside the biblical principles of, of biblical finances. That's why. 
You want to know why there's so much, so many torn parental relationships between parent, child, or, or husband and wife? It's because we haven't surrendered to the biblical principles of those relationships. I'm telling you guys, it's huge. It's huge. So warn them, warning, warn them. Warning, warn them. And so Samuel goes to him in verse 10. All the words he said to them. And basically what? How many verses? Verse number like seven verses worth. Just let me read them to you and we'll make a couple of comments. Verse 11. And he said, Samuel said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will, now notice this word, take. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will, will set some, of, some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And some will make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your sons and daughters. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your field your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. And he will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. Do you see it? Abuse of power, institution of the draft, and a king who will take and take and take and take. Now, and by the way, a casual reading of the kings of Israel and Judah will show you this is exactly what happened. There were far more evil kings than were near godly kings. Poor leadership. Take, take, take. Now, let's just pause. If you had the opportunity to have a ruler, to have a king in your life, And that king gave and gave and gave and gave. Or you had the choice of a king who takes and takes and takes and takes. Which one are you going for? You're going to the one who gives. Now listen, guys. The principle hasn't changed. When your number one is anyone but God, it's a taking deal. It's not a giving deal. Why would you give up the very best for second best? Why would you give up a God that said, for God so loved the world, he gave? Why would you take take a a, a king, a ruler, who takes and takes and takes? Let me read this to you. That's why I was over in John chapter 11. Let me, this is something, again, we, we talked about. We had a lot of the scriptures that deal with surrender. This is, listen to this. But a hireling who is, not, who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and run and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. And if you want to go back to to John chapter 10, verse 10, just verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life, that I may give you life and give it to you more abundantly. The hireling is any other king, and he will take, and he'll take, and when you need him the most, he won't be there for you. 
This king gives and gives and gives and promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Doesn't it seem like just like a, 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 a no-nonsense choice when you look at it that way? But let me just warn you, Israel couldn't figure this out. The grass, <laughs> Robin, I think about what you said that day, we talked about it. The grass just looked greener on the other side of the fence. It wasn't. It wasn't. So here's the, I wrote how sad. That's the note I wrote down. How sad. Look at 19. Nevertheless, and that, that's just what's happening. In spite of the evidence, in spite of the evidence, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Have we ever done that? Has the knock came at the door and it really looked good and your heart is telling you, no, there's one number one and this is not it. But we looked and said, no, no, we will have a king over us. That is why good men, good women, Godly men, um, godly women, sometimes make incredibly poor choices. And for some reason, they've got in their brain that we will have a new king. And like I said, the consequence is always dire. Nevertheless, we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. And see, we got to be very careful that we don't dilute the gospel Make our message appealing. You know, again, if there's anything that's going to be offensive about the church, it should be the gospel and only the gospel. We should not offend people with our judgmental attitudes and our rules and regulations. That's not right. But the, the gospel can and will be offensive. But make sure it's the gospel. Make sure it's the gospel. So that we also may be like all the nations that are... Now, this is the part I just go, what? What? That our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. What? Can't, can't you remember the story in Exodus chapter 14? When God had brought you out of Egypt and your, your back is against the Red Sea? Do you not remember when Moses said, just be quiet and be still... And God parts the Red Sea, and you go over on dry ground, and the Egyptians follow you, and they are all drowned. Don't you remember when God fought your battle? Why would you want a God, another God who can fight your battle? Why would you want another king who can fight your battles? When you've got one who's never lost. Who's never lost. And he fights for you. He fights for you. Now, really, look at me in the eye. Why would you want another king? Why would you want another God who's supposed to be another king who can fight your battles when your king, your king who spoke this world and this universe and beyond into existence, your king who said, all authority has been granted to me by the Father, your king who said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take my life up again. Your king who came and gave you dominion over the power of sin in your life. 
your king. Why would you want another? Don't trade him. I'm telling you, I'll just look. In this crowd tonight, here are the two greatest contenders for Jesus being king in your life. Church and religion. Church and religion. Because it sounds so good. It sounds so good. It sounds so right. Just like Samuel appointing uh, you know, Joel and Abijah as, as the judge. It just seemed like the right decision. Those will be the two contenders. For preachers, it's our ministries. You know, we figure as long as the church is growing and people seem happy and we're preaching the word of God, people getting saved, oh yeah. But you know what? If that's not for the right motivation, it's powerless. It's powerless. It's powerless. So when Samuel heard all these words, verse 21, the words of the people, he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. And this is so tragic. And again, God said, heed their voice, make them a king. And Samuel said, go to your houses. You know, you're, await your fate. You were being a poet this morning. I thought I would give it a try tonight. Await your fate. And they went back and king after king, after king. Oh, there was, there was a godly one thrown in the mix. But by and large, king after king after king took, 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 and took, and led them not to God, but away from God. The people had followed Jesus. They were enamored with him, because of the miracles he did, he fed the people with bread. He would heal blind eyes and make them open. He would take lepers and cleanse them. They were enamored with him. But when it came crux time, even though they had seen miracle after miracle, when it came crux time and the pressure was on, when the pressure was on, and Pilate said, should I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king. But Caesar. Be careful this week and the coming weeks of your life that when the pressure is on, that you don't say, I have no king but, and you fill in the blank. Make sure, no matter how intense the pressure, from your heart and from your mouth come the words, I have no king but Jesus. I have no king. Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer. This is just, guys, listen to me. This is so important. This is so important. Just in my heart tonight, I feel like this is something in this day we live in, we have got to nail this down. We have got to nail this down. One reason that that the false kings get in and they steal our families and, and steal our character and steal our testimonies is because we haven't nailed this down. And, and when the pressure comes, we cave. And when the pressures come, we cave. A, a, a girl at the office says the right thing. You're feeling old and unattractive and she says you are not either. They offer you a big pay raise. They, 
They, they give you other things. They, they offer you the things of the world. Just make sure when the pressure comes, you don't cave. When the world wants to steal your family away, don't cave. Don't be like the world. Be like the king. We don't do business. We don't do family. We don't do finances. Hey, we don't even do church like the world, like other nations. We do it like our king. God, thank you so very much. Father, how you orchestrated tonight. We weren't even supposed to be talking about this tonight. We were supposed to be here to sing it. Now, just one of those times I just got a feeling, God, that all this is on purpose. And Father, maybe in this room tonight, there's enough people who'd be willing to say, when the pressure comes, I won't cave. And you will send revival. Not only in their lives, but in our lives, in the life of our church. You orchestrated this tonight, God. I really believe that. Thank you for that. So, Father, as we sing a song, really it's a time of decision. But, Father, as we sing tonight, as we stand in a moment, Father, take our hearts, take our lives, take our very being. Be our number one tonight. Be our king. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.